For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Tonight's guest is one of the biggest names in the tabletop gaming industry. He's designed and published numerous games throughout the years, including GURPS, Car Wars, Munchkin, Illuminati, Ogre, and many, many, many more. Please welcome the award-winning Steve Jackson from Steve Jackson Games to Epic Realms. How are you doing, Steve? I'm alive. You're I'm here. I'm looking forward to the talk. Awesome. Awesome. Now I got to start off, and this is probably going to be a pretty common question. Did you always want to design games since you were young? Is that something that was no. always on your plans? No, it was never in my plans. I fell into it by accident. When I was really little, I wanted to be a paleontologist. Okay. And later, I wanted to be, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but it's true. I wanted to run for office and serve the country. Okay. And I went to law school and learned more about what running for office really meant and how serving your country worked out. <laughs> and about that time, I tripped over an opportunity to work on games. And uh, I was definitely a gaming nut. And then one thing led to another. Were you the kind of person that did, did really well in school? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I was I was an academic. Okay, it's always I always find it very interesting because you never. I always tell people that your walks in life, they can vary. So a person could be amazing in school, or they could be horrible in school. And if they become successful, that's a great story to help people. No matter what your walk is, your whatever your story is, it's it's a great motivator for people to go, hey, that can be me. And for someone such as yourself, if anybody ever wants to make make games they can go well if he was kind of good in school or if he fell into it or if the person wasn't good in school i can i can be too so it's, i always like to ask that that question about how good so, they were so much of game design involves coming up with random interesting facts or places to start your research so you can't know too much junk right it's you, just just i even today, when my career is probably coming to an end, I, I won't miss a chance to learn more junk because <laughs> it might be handy. Where do you get some of that? Do you just like read books or newspapers or books, you know, TV? Bet, conversation with friends, go to conventions, just every place that people are sharing information. I mean, on the net, you have to be careful and do your research because you can learn many things that are not true on the net. <laughs> I've learned that firsthand doing this show. Trust me. <laughs> what kind of stuff uh, do you find that inspires you when you're just designing a game? Like what stuff always grabs your attention and goes, oh, man, that would make a really good game? Well, 
I really enjoy science fiction books and uh, some of the places that science fiction and alternate history writers go are just completely inspiring. But so much, so much of it is random. There's a news site that I visit almost every day called FARC. And some of the information that I get off FARC, again, you have to do your your homework and read the story that it points to because the headlines always lie or tell a joke but you get behind it there's data does it matter sometimes if like if it's wrong if you're making a game it's like well for let's say illuminati for instance it's like okay but it's you know it's a game and it's kind of fun like if it's a little off is that really that big of a deal for those kinds of games it's good to know what's true regardless of what you actually put in the game okay how hard is that when people come up and they go, well, you know, is th- this is fact or this isn't fact? Does that become an issue when people are, are playing some of those games? It's uncommon. It has happened. Okay. I ran into a full-out conspiracy theorist at one convention, and he was just, uh, he was hurt and offended that I didn't believe all this stuff. <laughs> Especially considering you, you made Illuminati, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> When you're doing early games such as Ogre, TFT, or Illuminati, and, and some of that stuff, how do they compare to the modern like the modern market when you're looking at some of those older games? Because obviously you're still selling some of them. Do they still do well in the modern gaming market with the, with the way that things are? Or is it just mostly a lot, bunch of people that have like, I had this when I was a kid? Some of it is definitely nostalgia, and some of it isn't. Some of it is people coming to the games new and finding them. It's harder to get new attention with the market the way it is for a game that you can't sell as, hey, this is brand new. This is newer than sliced bread. This is what everybody in Europe is playing. Yeah. So that is always a challenge. But if you can get them to play the game, if it's good, they'll like it. Do you still do a lot of focus on trying to get them to play some of the older games? Or is it usually now just like, let's focus on some of the newer stuff? The new stuff, I mean, there's obviously some focus on new stuff when it's brand new because I'm in the business of selling games. Right, right. But things have to prove themselves to me in the marketplace and in the marketplace of ideas if I'm going to still be paying a lot of attention to them in three or four years. Okay. I've designed a lot of games that you might never have heard of. And that's okay. They probably don't need to be remembered forever. But are there uh, any of those games that you know have disappeared that you really wished you you either still had access to uh, as a you know because maybe you did them for a different company or that you just really wished would have taken off more? Well, some of the ones that I developed for metagaming when I was just getting started, it's really tragic that they disappeared. I ended up getting back the rights to everything that I flat out wrote, but I did development work on some games like Chiton and Warp War, and it's just really tragic that you can't buy those anymore. Have you ever thought about trying to like recreate a modern version that wouldn't get you in trouble? No. No? <laughs> no. I, I'm not sure where the line of trouble would be, right. but in in just to take those two cases... Chiton is a high-concept game about giant bugs fighting and eating each other. If I did something like that 
having spent so much time in the development of chitin, uh, it would be hard for it not to come out too similar. Right. And Warp War is a game with a couple of very specific rules. If you didn't copy those, you wouldn't get the flavor. Okay. So, no, there are lots of ideas out there. I don't have to regurgitate somebody else's old ideas. Right. I just wish in those cases that somebody else's old ideas were out there to be bought and played. Yeah, definitely. Well, instead of coming out with, you know, like I said, some of those newer games, for some of your games, you come out with like different editions of games. How do you know when it's time to make a new edition? Is it based on like market or just a feeling that you have, or you're like, I just want to fix this thing, or I want to revamp something entirely? How do you go about that? Well, if it's Munchkin, you know it's time for a new version if it's a day ending and why. <laughs> and for a role-playing system, it's not time for a new version until you seriously see a lot of ways to improve it. Okay. Uh, we did like almost 20 years between the preceding edition of GURPS and the current fourth edition. And uh, I know perfectly well there are companies out there that want to do a new edition every few years because they can sell it all to the same people. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, because the core rule book is where, you, where the money goes. But yeah, I, as a person who goes, I don't want to buy a new edition. Like, I, I just don't. I, I want to continue playing the game because if it works, it works, right? Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of GURPS, uh, GURPS was my intro to role-playing originally yeah. uh very first it was early early 90s and to this day it's still the system that if i ever want to play highlander i don't know if you ever watched the movie or the tv series oh highlander, yeah gurps was the system just the way it was designed for being able to you know get the quickening or whatever like that some of the stuff that you guys developed for that worked really well for making an immortal in the world of highlander and being able to adjust that on the fly and we just we just loved playing it uh, uh, for that. Is there any other games that people have come up with or unique things that people have used GURPS for that you're like, oh, that's a that's something I didn't know of or didn't think of. That's a really cool idea. Has that ever come up? Uh, the thing that blows me away still every so often is when somebody does a mashup of ideas and uh, and creates uh, a, a good combination, a new combination. Uh, like take fantasy folk and transhuman space and have science fiction with elves, for instance. Right. It's just, I mean, GURPS was intended to be optimized for that, and it's not something that we talk about enough, is, is its ability to do mashups. Right, for sure. Well, and yes, there's so many books. How hard was it going, okay, we got this idea for a book. Was it just when people come up and say, hey, you should do a, a, a space vehicles book? And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, how was it developing some of those, some of those, you know, all of those add-on books? There was a time when we were releasing two source books a month. I mean, the, and the market was there for it at the time. And we, we heavily optimized the company to produce GURPS books, which meant uh, lots of, hard research and editing as well. There are still ideas out there that have never been done for a GURPS book, and maybe one day we'll get to them. I wanted to do a 
an after the Holocaust book, and we've just never gotten to it. Is there a book that you guys did come out with that you thought should have done a lot better? That you're like, this is a really good idea. Why didn't people get on board with this? Well, there's a role-playing game called Goblins that we bought the rights to and did a GURPS Goblins book. I thought that was brilliant, and it remained niche. Oh. What was it about that game, that about that book that was, that was stand-up? It was about a variant human race living in a sort of Georgian England background. Okay. And it was very, very intelligently written, very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I like it enormously. And uh, there's no law that says everybody else has to like what I like. But right. it's, it's nice when that works out. And sometimes it's frustrating when it doesn't. Yeah. But hey, it, you got it. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's out there. Well, since we're, we're talking about the different editions of GURPS and stuff like that, and you guys have a new edition of Car Wars coming out, or it's already out, right? Yes, it's out. How it's did that, the, how did that evolve uh, when, you're, when you're talking the original system of Car Wars to now? Well, there have been a number of editions. It's been a while since the last one. And the last one, honestly, got too complicated and died of its own weight. It became unfriendly to newcomers because there was so much, not lore, but just technical stuff to learn in order to design a good vehicle. Okay. And the focus was shifting more and more toward elaborate vehicle design and less and less toward there, <laughs> so we did a new edition and the goal of the new edition was to totally change the rules while having it play just the same way this was not easy right but i think it was achieved and i had very little to do with that other than to sit on a, on a play session every few months and say i think this is the right direction or no i don't and i'm quite pleased with the final outcome nice and that's really cool because obviously with you know being so involved in some of the first stuff and being able to hand it off and have other people work on it uh was that nice to to be a little bit more hands-off and just be able to enjoy it instead of spend all that time working on it well i enjoyed designing games but i can't be everywhere at once and if we wanted a car wars game somebody else was going to have to do it Right. I'm just pleased that it went so well. And then, of course, it was kicked repeatedly in the nabs by COVID and the supply chain problems and so on and so on. But it's yeah. out there now. Yeah. And it's. Uh, I was at Gen Con and pretty much everybody who walked by was like, oh, I used to play Car Wars. I totally got to get this. And it just it was happening so much. And you and I talked a little bit off stream about because of COVID, you guys uh, made the decision. And I think it's a good decision to, you know, push it off another year and not not necessarily go to Gen Con. But you were able to have a presence there and people felt that they walked by and they were people were excited about it. Uh, like I said, I was sitting right next to the display and people were very excited about the next edition of Car Wars. What mm -hmm. is what is the system kind of like now on this new version? Okay, uh, to start off with, the scale is four times as big, and it's played with actual playing cards that are, I said cards, cars, automobiles, okay. 
that are about the size of Hot Wheels cars, if you want a physical comparison. Yeah. And those just beg to be painted, and I've seen some marvelous paint jobs. Uh, vehicle design is done with cards, C-A-R-D-S, uh, pieces of cardstock. Okay. And you collect a batch. Collect is a bad use to word with cards. You choose a batch that fit within constraints and build a car. You keep track of the car's current status on a really clever dashboard. I was awfully impressed when they came up with that. And the dice are not standard D6. The dice are special with icons on them that mean different things in different contexts. Okay. How does, the game, how does the game compare to some of the other, like, apocalyptic racing games that have come out in the last couple? I, I know they came out with a game called Wreckage. I know uh, it was a couple of years ago they came out with a Gaslands. How does it compare to some of those? Yeah, well... And those were obviously inspired by Car Wars. Let's, let's be honest. They were obviously inspired by you. System is totally different. Gaslands is a good game. And one thing I really like about Gaslands, aside from its being a good game, is that it really draws modelers. Mm -hmm. So a Gaslands game can be visually spectacular. And I hope we get into some of that same place with Car Wars. Uh, how it compares? Well, it's better. No. Uh, it's faster. Okay. So movement and placement doesn't take as long to go through rounds and uh, go through all of the things and right. stuff like that. Okay. The big problem with the last edition of Car Wars was it just took too long to play around. And we have gotten away with that. Right. And especially with some of the people that, you know, played it, played the original, ver the older version when they were younger, they are adults probably now and they don't have that kind of time. So they get to really enjoy the game again and they'll have the time to play it. Yes. They no longer have a lunch hour to sit down and design a super detailed car, but it doesn't work that way anymore. You get your vehicle designed by setting up cards and it's much faster. When you're coming through and you're, designing a game such as car wars or you're designing an expansion do you have your own process uh personally for like game development like do you come up with an outline or do you just imagine it and kind of think it through for a while and mull it over or do you like sit down with a team and go okay guys this is this is what i'm kind of envisioning give me what you got how, how what is the process for you these days uh done all those things at one time or another. There is no one specific process that I go through. Uh, usually the theme comes before the mechanics, but even that, not always. Do you have any uh, um, examples? Of, 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 you know, sitting down and like kind of how you design. So say like Car Wars originally when you were coming up with the, with the concept for that. Uh, or Illuminati, or any, any of the games you came up with. Any, well, Dino Hunt is an example of an outline sort of thing. Okay. I, I knew that I wanted to do a game about capturing dinosaurs. All right. I made pages and pages and pages of notes, and I worked them into 
sort of an outline of how the game might go. And it was way too long and complicated. I wanted a light game. And it was then a subtractive process. What, what on this outline does this game not really need? Right. I really hope to reissue Dino Hunt one of these days. Okay. We'd have to do some research because there's been a lot more dinosaur science since then. Yeah, there definitely is. Well, and that goes back to when you were younger and wanting to do paleontology. So it's like yes. it gives you a little bit. Is so, that kind of was the inspiration of putting that game together? Uh, no, but it was quickly perceived to be an opportunity. Okay. Uh, in the process of making Dino Hunt, I got to hang out with a lot of paleontologists. I even went to a Society for Vertebrate Paleontology meeting, and it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's really cool getting to see stuff like that. How is it for you, you know, starting out and enjoying games, and now, you know, you've got one of the biggest board game companies. It's not like, uh, how is that for you? Because I, I, I can't sit here on the other side and go, man, that would be really, really cool, or really, do you feel fulfilled? Usually, yes. There's always room for improvement. And we're not really one of the biggest board game companies. We're, we're the oldest under the same management. But uh, I don't think we've ever broken $10 million in sales. Some years we don't get close. And we have fewer than 40 staff. Just everybody's heard of us, so they think we're bigger than we are. Well, I consider big as in like, Popular and well-known. Okay. <laughs> That's I, what I mean when I say big, okay. you're big. Yeah, yeah. In Japan. I mean, when people say, you know, name a couple, name name some gaming companies, like yours is always going to be on the list. You know, those are going to mm -hmm. be you and Fantasy Flight, you know, maybe Atlas is always, you know, some of those games or companies are going to be on the list of some of the top, in my opinion, of uh, some of the, you know, top game companies out there. And maybe I'm maybe I'm also biased because you know I've been you you know using your product for years as well. So maybe I'm maybe I'm also biased and I'm not qualified to to say. Well, we'll take that bias and run happily with it. That's all cool. right. Sounds good. Uh, is the process that you do now for developing games is it different than it was, say, in the '80s? It must be, but I didn't necessarily take contemporaneous notes while I was doing design. Some of them I remember better than others. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think that I've learned something since the 80s, but I'm not always sure what it is. And to a certain extent, I'm like the blind Zen archer. I hit the target a lot, but darned if I know how. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Has the industry changed over that course of a time that's that, that you've noticed? I mean, obviously it has, but I mean... Changed over and over again. How is it that you've been able to stay on top of that? Because, I mean, with the advent of, you know, obviously your website says it's one of the oldest websites, you know, for games out there. Uh, it says right on your SIP page. How do you guys keep on top of that? I mean, you guys are all on all the social medias. You guys are doing... All kinds of stuff you guys even have a twitch channel like staying on top of all that for that long um how do you you know do you have a plan to be like okay guys we got to stay on top of the times or you know foresight or is it just a gift i wouldn't call it a plan it certainly is a goal i mean the wheel is always turning right and if you don't stay 
close to the top of that metaphorical wheel, you will fall. Right. But uh, some of it is luck. Like uh, one of the best game companies ever was Game Designers Workshop. Mm-hmm. And they're not with us anymore. They had three bad things happen to them within the same year. And it just drained the, drained their finances and I think drained their energies and uh, took them down. And they deserved to continue. It was just an amazing group of people doing a lot of amazing work. So some of it is good fortune. I've had bad things happen, but never three in one year. Right. That's tough. What kind of things have happened over the course of the years that you think have been a real boon to the gaming industry? Well, the creation of the collectible card game brought a lot of interest, a lot of money, a lot of new players. Right. The current popularity specifically of D&D 5e, I note that I'm not saying role-playing. Role-playing as a whole is more popular than ever before, right. but uh, 5e has a big bite of that, yeah. and it's across media. It's part of the popular zeitgeist now. If you talk about, oh man, that took a lot of hit points with some total non-gamer, they'll know what you mean. Right, yeah, that's true. Those are those are big ones right there. I just... Those are the two biggest pluses that I can think of right now. Oh, I'll give you a third one, Kickstarter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kickstarter sure. was a huge benny. If you go back farther and look for techn- technological improvements, the wide availability of the personal computer with its printer and a desktop publishing program made things a whole lot different for the casual gamer and the casual game designer than they were when I was first breaking in. Because when I was getting started, it was type, type, type on the typewriter. Yeah. Being able to save your keystrokes and come back and improve them later, big deal. You can't imagine how big a deal it was when you hadn't had that. Do you think it's easier for for independent people now to, to build board games than it was, say, 10 years ago? Uh, yes, and much easier than it was 20 years ago. The bar, <laughs> the bar to entry has been lowered by Kickstarter, by cheap Chinese factories, although now, because of COVID over there, they're largely slow and inaccessible compared to the way they were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's much easier to be an indie and to be a an indie that will be noticed. The downside of it is with so much stuff coming through Kickstarter, you've got 15 minutes of fame and you'd better hit it big during that time. Right. Do you uh do you think it's a good thing ever that there's so many games out there now? Or are you in the boat of rising rising tides raise all ships sort of situation? Good thing for whom? It's a very good thing for the gamer. There's more choice than ever before, and a lot of it is good quality choice. For the mid-sized game publisher, it's not necessarily good because you get lots of amateur competition. And good amateur competition is great. That's the rising tide of quality that that, that you want. Right. But 
there's so much junk coming out there as well that the retailers are overloaded. They don't know what to carry. Yeah. The opinion leaders who used to drive people to new games now have more games on their shelf than, than they can deal with. Yeah. So it's like having too much ice cream to eat. Do you think the show shows like like tabletop were were super helpful as well? Yes. How did tabletop you... is helpful. The uh, the live streaming of D and D and other role playing games is popular popularizes it. Uh, but the time Will Wheaton and Felicia Bay played Munchkin on tabletop did Munchkin a lot of good. Yeah, and you got to be on that show. I did. How did you enjoy that? Was that fun? I enjoyed it a lot. I already knew Will slightly. He's a really good guy. Mm -hmm. And Felicia is an absolutely killer player. Total, strong, killer instinct there. We, uh, Smart and dangerous. I remember watching that, and I remember her saying, well, I only kind of play this game. <laughs> so uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's everybody's excuse. Like, leave me alone. That, that's a strategy to, pr to pretend like you don't know how to play Munchkin. She impressed me a lot. Nice. It's, it wouldn't be beyond me to mention a little personal story here on the show. And uh, I want to share it with you because I really enjoy it. And I've had, and I've mentioned people that, that watch our live stream and, and listen to our podcast. I've, I've mentioned it before. Fine. And, we'll, we'll change roles. Tell me your story. Eric. So... <laughs> So we uh, we host a holiday party every year with all of our friends, and we do a white elephant gift exchange. So everybody wraps up a gift that's $20 or less, and they bring it. And we throw it all on a shelf, and then we tell everybody to they all have to go grab one that's not theirs, and then they sit down at a table, and we pull up Munchkin. And we make sure that we have all of the holiday cards in there. And we make sure that people are, like, if somebody affects another player, they are forced to switch a game or switch a gift, or every time they level they're forced to switch a gift. And then once the game is over, everybody opens their gifts. Oh! <laughs> and so that's, and it's gotten to the point now where people will message me on the side and be like, hey, we did that for, we did that for our holiday season this year. It was a, it was a hit. Everybody loved doing it. Now it's other people's, other people do it for their holiday, their heart, white elephant gift exchange. And they, that's they utilize Munchkin. And, uh, and I, I just I wanted to share it because I don't know if you've ever heard of anything like that. No, game, I have but... never heard of that. That's awesome. So it's such a great, fun game for people that are role players because we talked about role playing earlier. Uh, for people that are role players, for people that just like to have fun, people that like Screw Your Neighbor games. For those that have never played Munchkin, you definitely should check out Munchkin. Uh, and you guys have a new Munchkin... Exp you guys have a million Munchkin expansions, really. How is but it working... Got... What's that? I say, but we've got a shiny new one. But okay, do your question, and then you do. You do have. We'll get to that because it's 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 built in. It's built into this. How is it working with? Because you have to work with all these different uh, licenses and other. You know, you have the Pathfinder Munchkin, and you have Glue Munchkin, and these are identities and and things that are from other companies. How hard is it to get licenses and do agreements and stuff like that to be able to develop games like that? Sometimes it's difficult because in the grand scheme of things, Munchkin is not a huge game. Uh, it, if you compare it to Monopoly, for instance, it's just right. not a bad, bad, hairy deal. 
and some some potential licensors are looking for monopoly numbers anytime they talk about a game. Some of them are more realistic, and uh, and it becomes possible to do a deal. And every licensor is different. Some okay. of them are very easy to work with. Some of them are very, very picky about details. And it's their property. So, I mean, their, their house, their rules. Right. We, we appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we're doing a series of Warhammer and Warhammer 40K munchkin things with Games Workshop. Okay. And they they really pay attention to what comes out, but they're fun to work with. The our contacts have had a sense of humor. Okay. That's great. Do you have issues sometimes where it's like difficult and they're like, oh no, you can't do that. You can't you can't use this or you can't do XYZ. Not with workshop, uh, we we had a disappointment like that with Munchkin Batman because one of my favorite uh characters from the whole Batman mega story is King Tut. And I wanted to put King Tut in the Batman game that we did with Munchkin, but it turns out that he's part of a different licensing packaging package. Oh. It just wasn't available to us. Oh, oh well, problem. yeah, it was sad, but we got lots of stuff in there. It was great. That's great. And that's the new one that just came out, right? That's the new one. How how and, how excited are you to show people this game? Is it something uh, that's just like, are you a big comic book fan? 10, maybe 12, 14, something like that. I mean, I, I got to write dialogue for Batman. Right. John Kovalik got to be a Batman artist for real. Is Were you a big fan growing up of Batman and other comic books? Batman in particular, uh I was a big fan of the Adam West TV series, too. Mm -hmm. I really still like the tongue-in-cheek Batman the best of all. Well, that fits right in for Munchkin, doesn't it? It does. It fits <laughs> do you, do you uh, no spoilers here, but do you poke fun at some of that, that stuff? No spoilers here, but of course we do. <laughs> That's the, great. Were there any other characters that... Go ahead. The story of the Batman game changes a little bit from the regular Munchkin story. Okay. Uh, you don't play Batman. You play one of the big supervillains. And you don't kill monsters. You commit crimes. Okay. And the crimes range from really trivial ones like jaywalking. Or take candy from a baby, which isn't automatic if you've ever tried it's not automatic but uh, they go all the way up to reveal the location of the bat cave and so on and so on okay and so you say what crime you're going to try to commit and then the other players will try to help you or try to stop you and one of the crimes is dip commissioner gordon in peanut butter now this doesn't have anything to do with anything that has ever happened in the continuity. Right. It's just me being silly. Right. But they let it go through. Yeah. Well, because it, uh, it's obvious that they must have some sort of sense of, of humor with it as well. And they kind of get an understanding of what the game is. Clearly. 
Did they come to you or did you go to them? We went to them. Okay. Did you was did it take a while to find out who to actually talk to, considering you know you've got you've got DC and Warner and Discovery and like there's all these licenses and all these different people. Was it hard finding exactly where to go for something there like was, that? Thing? With Batman in particular, it was a two stage thing. We do not have a direct license for Batman. Um, we were able to work through our friends at Cryptozoic. Mm. And without them, there would have been no Batman project. Okay. Shout out to Cryptozoic. Yes, absolutely. Did you, uh, was there anything else, any other characters that you were like, I, t- I totally got to get this character in there? Well. Besides the obvious, like Batman and Joker and Robin, obviously. Besides, besides the obvious ones, I would have been very sad if we couldn't put Harley Quinn in, but that was no problem. Nice. I was afraid that because she was a newer character, she wouldn't be part of the package, but she's fine. Excellent. What about Bane? Is Bane in there? No spoilers, of course. Uh, No spoilers. Bane is in there as a henchman. Okay. He's not a playable character. Okay. Cool, cool. We, uh... We've had, so like, I, I don't know if you know who Chuck Dixon is, but we've had Chuck Dixon on the show and we chatted with him and obviously he's the creator of Bane. And so I was like, yes. well, I'm kind of really curious because he's all, I don't want to, I guess he's not newer now at this point. To me, he's a newer Batman character, but you know, that's 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm older than I look. <laughs> so shifting gears a little bit, you've got one other thing that you kind of mentioned and that's this, you've got a 3D printing project. And I, yeah. and I heard a little bit about it, um, and I, I, you, you've chatted about it on other shows, about kind of how you didn't want it to be associated with this specific game. You just wanted it to be 3D miniatures. Tell us a little bit about it, about what you've got going on, what you can tell us. Well, um, the only limit on what I can tell you is, is due to my own uncertainties, uh, um, so if I if I seem to be skidding over something, feel free to bring it back to me, and I'll. And at that point, I can either answer or I can say I don't know. Right. Uh, but uh, I have gotten heavily into 3D printing myself with a resin printer. Um, I have been a miniatures player for a long time. 3D printed figures are just better, and the idea that I can go out into the shop and make them is just amazing. Right. So we have gotten into creating and selling STL files, which are the raw material for 3D printing. Uh, we, we have a set out now called FOES that is designed specifically to work with Fantasy Trip, but it's got skeletons and orcs that are good for any game. I mean, skeletons and orcs, how can you go wrong? Right. And well, that's the thing with minis is oftentimes, especially, you know, if you're playing Pathfinder or D&D or any of those and you've got minis, you want to have an army. You, you, you want to have 30 skeletons, but it's cool to not have to have the same one 30 times. 30 of the same skeleton, exactly. And uh, there are armed octopi in there as well. That's specifically a fantasy trip thing, but they're very neat. Uh, anyway, Foes 2 should drop before the end of the year. So more, more things to fight. 
The really big STL project that we're working on is a terrain project. Okay. We, we did a, a temporary drop of that, uh, you know, really just, I don't want to say as a, a marketing tool because it was an educational tool for us as well. We learned a lot from doing it, but for a limited time, we actually made the 0.9 versions of the terrain product available on our website. Okay. And uh, we sold some and we continue to support those users, but the big drop is going to come early next year. Okay. Do you have uh, like a group of designers, a group of people that can come up with uh, the, you know, the, the designing the miniatures, or do you just have one, or do you license it out elsewhere? Two as a group, right? Yeah, yeah. Two okay. as a group. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, is there a plan to incorporate some of that into, say, Car Wars, so people, you know, you can get people because you talked about how you know we you'd like to get car wars to be at a place where you know you get modelers doing stuff is there thoughts of having some 3d printed designs for for car wars and you know weapons and attachments there, and stuff there like is that? not yet a plan but there is an aspiration okay cool cool because i mean i think that would be right you know you know if you're doing one it'd be right up your alley to be able to support both doing this the same thing especially since you have a lot of similar audiences and it's it's all 3d printing right yes <laughs> all right you need some new and different tricks to print something the size of cars but it's doable right for sure all right so you have upcoming uh you mentioned you've got a convention called Fnord Fnordcon. am i pronouncing that right yes you're pronouncing it exactly right yes and that's an online event right yes so we have done live ones in the past but this is one of the online ones. It's going to be November 11th and 12th. It'll be held on our Discord. Okay. And, and people can find your Discord right on the website, which is uh, sjgames.com, I believe. Yes. They can also get information about the convention as it nears by, <laughs> you know, Google for FNORDCon if you forget the details. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And... How are they, are they just doing, is it going to be like, how are they going to do physical components of games via Discord? Are you going to have somebody that's like doing stuff or is it just whoever's running it is running it? It's more of a panel discussion and question answering thing than it is okay. live gaming online. Okay. At okay. some past online events, we did a gaming track and a talk track. And we found that very few people wanted to play the games when they could uh, when they could talk about them. Okay. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, it's it's just people going. I can play games anytime, but here's my chance to buttonhole the people who make them. Right. Yeah. For so sure. it was complimentary to everybody except the people who worked hard to make the online games available and then got few takers. That was kind of a bummer. Yeah. With things like online conventions, and we talked a little bit about technology these days, uh, how much you guys also have on your website, you have some like online games and you know phone games and things like that. What kind of other uh, routes are you guys going? Do you guys do anything with like say tabletop simulator or so sovereignty games or or anything like that? There's uh, I forgot the name of it again. The game game board. 
game board that yeah game board is a game playing device uh let's see this description would probably not be approved by their marketing department but <laughs> they'll give it anyway do you remember all the hype about a product called microsoft surface uh a little decade bit. and a half ago yeah a little bit was a big flat tv it never really got off the ground it sounds like this is going i say it sounds like i've got one of the, the beta it it is what the microsoft surface was supposed to be okay it's a flat video surface touch sensitive and you play games on it yeah and i've seen the videos and it, it looks really cool you can either be like you upload if you want to do role playing you can upload the maps and it'll literally move your miniatures like a sideways laid down tv like a lot of those people do or they have literally a game on there that just sits on the table and make, people can interact with the games uh-huh uh, and you put uh, meeples on the board and it senses which meeple it is it's very good awesome that's cool that is super cool tell us about a little bit about the munchkin costume contest because i'm really curious about this what what is the munchkin costume contest uh one of your uh people mentioned in an email chain and i'm really curious is this an online thing or is it something for halloween that's uh the Judging doesn't close until after Halloween, so people can double dip on their costumes. But no, it's an online thing. Okay. Dress up as a Munchkin character, send us a picture, win moderate prizes. Okay, well, that's cool. That's fun. And I'm assuming that can all be found on your website at sjgames.com? Yes. Awesome, awesome. Uh, or, you also... at, or at munchkin.game. Munchkin.game, there we go. Uh, you're also on Twitter at sjgames. Uh, you do have a Twitch channel. Uh, twitch.tv slash steve jackson games i saw somebody was doing some mini painting on there not too long ago uh facebook backslash sj games instagram at steve jackson games and even on youtube backslash steve jackson games can be found at all those locations you're everywhere you're everywhere we're almost everywhere we we actually have a tiktok too oh. but it it has not been active recently, but we're going to do something about well, I that. I should have tagged you on some of my TikToks then. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Friends and enemies, everybody watching and listening, October 17th, we're going to be joined by hip-hop musician Nerdy is going to be joining us. He just recently was the opening act for Ludacris. We're going to talk about his gaming inspirations, wrestling, and of course, music. That's going to be live October 17th. The podcast will be available the following Tuesday on the 18th. October 31st is our Halloween episode. We're going to be joined by RPG developer Siegfried Trent. He's working with a new role-playing company called Evil Genius Games. They have the RPG licenses for a lot of pop culture movies such as Highlander, The Crow, Pacific Rim, and more. So join us for that on October 31st. The podcast will be available November 1st. And of course, guys... I watch that one myself. That sounds like a good concept. It's it's going to be super cool. I'm really... I went and met them at Gen Con. I specifically sought them out and I was like, I have you guys on the podcast. <laughs> and then some of the artwork, I've, I've seen Facebook ads and stuff. I'm like, this looks super cool. Hopefully the system is as good as the, the cover art all looks. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, November 14th, everyone, we're going to have the star of Discoveries, Ghosts of Devil's Purge, and the star of Holzer Files. He's also the host of the Paranormal 60 podcast. Dave Schrader is going to be joining us to talk all things paranormal. That's going to be November 14th, and that podcast will be available on the 15th. 
So everyone, be sure to rate and review, subscribe, follow, click all of the buttons. It all helps us and in turn helps our guests. So go back and listen to some of our older episodes and make sure to talk about this one. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. I am so glad you were able to join us. Thank you for having me. This has been a good well, interview. There you are. Everybody, for Steve Jackson and Steve Jackson yourselves. Games, I am Nick, and I want to thank you and all I do for hope listening that you come back to Epic Realms. And join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs>